0: This is the Division One Basketball.com podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Toe. And on today's episode, Matt Morgan, All-American Guard from Cornell University, joins us. Matt led the Ivy League in scoring for the last three seasons, and he came back for his senior year after testing the NBA waters and declaring for the draft last year and even the year before that. He came back to school for a senior year. His goal is to get to the NCAA tournament, and he joins us on the podcast today, and we're happy to have him. Stay tuned. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling in. How are you doing?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: Good. Good. First of all, thanks for for calling in. We're we're talking to Matt Morgan here on the Division One Basketball dot com podcast. And Matt, how did your summer go? How was your summer?
1: Uh summer was pretty good. Uh got to go home for a month at the beginning. Uh work out with my old high school, old flash current trainer, and then took a trip up to DC to kinda work out with some guys up there. Just a different competition level, different competition, not playing against the same people all summer. And then finished out my summer going to the Nike basketball academy in California. So that, that was a really good experience for me. Yeah, so I say it was a pretty
0: productive summer. Sounds like it we're once again talking to Matt Morgan, all American guard at Cornell University and Matt, I wanna I wanna get into a little bit of um, just talking a little bit about your background and where you came from and you know where you grew up. You went to high school in North Carolina, right in Concord, North Carolina. Yes, sir. You obviously had a uh, for those who don't know and and who's listening and don't know a lot about Matt. Matt was an All American, not only in high school but obviously in college, but. You had a prolific career at Cox Mill High School, and all four years you were productive, you were an outstanding player. And so what I'm fascinated about is you ultimately, you know, obviously could play the game at a high level, probably could have gone to a number of different programs coming out of high school. How did, how did Cornell find you?
1: I think a couple of days or a week before Cornell came, uh, but Cornell didn't know about me either. So the, the school came to watch me work out and they saw how talented I actually was, just not on paper. So they reached out to Coach Courtney at Cornell and the coaching staff up there and basically said, Hey, I think we have a point guard that might be good for you guys. So, uh, then they sent me some letters, uh, got some phone calls and they sent an assistant coach, Coach Marlon Sears, to come watch me work out, I want to say a couple days to a week after. And then Coach Sears pretty much wanted to offer me on the spot, but he wanted Coach Courtney to come down and take a look at me. So Coach Courtney came down a couple days after that, and I did a workout for him. And I remember as soon as I got done with the workout, because it was in the middle of the school day, so, I got done with the workout and went back to class and like five minutes later, I checked in Cornell and Cornell offered me a scholarship That's how that happened.
0: Wow, so who else were you potentially looking at? Did you take any other official visits besides Cornell
1: uh no, I didn't have any other official visits. Cornell was my only scholarship offer coming out of high school, so that was my one official visit, but I took maybe one or two unofficial visits.
0: Okay. And was that were they at Division One programs or
1: Yeah, they were uh one was Elon, uh one was Davidson uh Gardner Webb. Okay. And I think UNC Charlotte, but I live like ten minutes away from there, so I'm always <laughs> okay.
0: there. So Matt, you then come to Cornell and What kind of program are you coming into? How how did Cornell fare prior to you getting there?
1: Um, They have been uh, struggling a little bit before I got there. Um, I know the year before I got there, they did well. I think they placed higher than they were projected to. I think They were projected seventh or eighth, and they came in fifth or sixth. Mm -hmm. The year before that, they had a lot of injury, season-ending injuries to some of the top guys. So they didn't they didn't do well at all, but just coming into a program that was looking for looking for guys to come in and produce right away, uh, they were losing a lot of talent. I know Sean Miller, who's in the G League now. They lost him, uh-huh. uh, Devin Cherry, Jalal, uh, and all those guys. They were looking for people to come in and produce right away, and I was one of eight people, eight freshmen at the time. So. It was different for me, I should
0: say. Okay. Let's back up for for a minute because I want to talk about, you know, who was a big influence on you as you were growing up. Obviously, for people that know you, they would know that your dad actually played at Georgetown. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And had a lot of success there, too. Played in, uh, won a Big East title there, played in three NCAA tournaments. How much of an influence was your dad on your playing career thinking about playing college basketball, realizing that you could play at a high level. You know, was was he I'm assuming he was and, and probably other people were a big influence on, on your desire to play the game of basketball. You also played football too, so it wasn't like you were just a one sport star. But talk about what his influence might have been on your desire to play the game.
1: I mean he he was the main influence on why I chose to play basketball over football. Just something about doing what your dad did was very enticing for me because he he could teach me the ins and outs of the game on and off the court. Uh, Like you said, played at Georgetown in the Big East at that time was basically the highest level of basketball you could play at in college. And he was pretty successful there. So learning from him from the time I was born until still learning from him today is a big influence for me. And just his confidence in me uh day in and day out really helped especially in high school, just letting me know that like i'm I'm a division one talent, just use this as motivation as a chip on your shoulder when you get to cornell uh even before that, I didn't have any offers, so he was using uh just letting me know um constantly that I could play at that level, and just his his confidence in me it really helped me. Get through to where I am
0: now. Does he still go out and, and try to play a little bit with you, or is he like that was a long time ago? I'm not even gonna try to mess with this guy.
1: No, nah, he he doesn't he doesn't mess with me anymore. He all my three little brothers now. They're a little bit a little bit younger, a little bit smaller, so he can still <laughs> mess with them. But yeah, he leaves me alone.
0: I know a lot of people get asked this question when they have parents who played at a high level like your dad did. So my obvious question to you was what grade or how old were you when you were finally able to just basically take your your dad and show him hey I'm actually the best baller in the family now
1: I think the first time I beat him one on one was before my sophomore year in high school and I remember because I had just got moved up to varsity I think it was a couple weeks or a month before our first game and I had been trying to beat him one on one since I was three years old so i knew once i could beat him one one on one that there wasn't anyone that i should be worried about cuz it took me at that point i think up to 12 years to beat him so once i once i beat him that confidence just grew
0: i bet you know one thing i'll mention about georgetown i was actually in college just a little bit before your dad would have been in college and georgetown university was the reason why i wanted to play college basketball I happened to, I lived in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time I was in high school. That's so where I went to high school. And Georgetown came to Albuquerque to play the Lobos, New Mexico, University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And they happened to be working out up the street from where I went to high school. And so I went, I, I told my dad, I was like, hey, you're not going to believe this. Georgetown's actually working out. Over here. And, and when I was watching Georgetown and the Big East was the best conference in America, I was watching Patrick Ewing and Reggie Williams and David Wingate, and Michael Jackson, who was their point guard. And, and, you know, I was a huge Hoya fan. And they were now in my town getting ready to play the Lobos in New Mexico. So I go there. And at the time, I was like, uh, let's say I would have been, you know, maybe a, a freshman in high school, something like that. And I couldn't believe how enormous these dudes were. And even their coach, I was just like, wait a minute, their coach is like (laughs) 6'10. You know, forget about like the players. I didn't even know at the time that, you know, John Thompson had played in the NBA and, you know, how prolific of a a career he had. Unfortunately for him, he had to back up a Hall of Famer when he was in the NBA. And so, you know, but he was a good player. But Georgetown was the reason why I went, you know what, I really want to play at this level. You know, I want to work on my game. And, and watching those guys play was was so much fun. To there were guys walking around when when I was when I was in high school wearing Hoya jackets. They had no idea where Georgetown University was. Nobody even knew that they were in D.C. You know, and, and uh, so I always thought that was very funny. But um, so I I, I had a, a real appreciation for for Georgetown University, and I've always. Rooted for them kind of from afar because I, I always felt like they did things the right way. And so, you know, when I talk about, when I think about you and your background, you obviously had to be a good student and forget about what was going on in the basketball court in order for you to get into a place like Cornell. And so you're the true epitome of, of a student athlete, you know, where you understood that the academic side of it was really just as important as the basketball side of it. What was, and who was, I'm I'm imagining, obviously, your your parents and and coaches?
1: That basically came from my mom. Oh, really? She was basically the academic person in the house. Uh, My dad, of course, pushed me, but my mom was the one who was really on me to do well in school. She always got upset if I came home with anything less than a B from kindergarten all the way through high school. Uh, even in college. And she knows how hard an Ivy League university is. So her, my mom, and my dad's, my dad's mom, my grandma on my dad's side, they were the ones who really pushed me because they knew if I had good grades and I played well in high school, that the opportunities were endless. And I'm blessed to be able to be at a Ivy League institution and
0: to be on track to graduate. And you will graduate this year? Yes, sir. Excellent. So, now we're going to we're going to jump up to your freshman year. You get on campus and this is Division 1 basketball at the Ivy League level doesn't mean that the the level of play is any less than any other place, but you're going onto a campus where I, I remember in my own experience and I played a low level Division 1, I, I played at Northern Arizona University, but even playing there, Big Sky Conference, we had the same situation that that you have in the Ivy League where if you don't win your conference tournament, you're not going to the NCAA tournament. And so you show up on campus and I was I was the player of the year where I played at and conference player of the year and, you know, all conference and everything. And then I get on campus and everybody had been the player of the year where they went to school and they were all conference and all everything, right? And and you're just like, Wow, there's some really, really good players here. And so how soon, because you had a really nice freshman year, how soon upon your arrival on campus, did you realize man i could I could play this game at a high level, and the success you had in high school was translating to the college game, and you know when you get on campus, everybody starts playing pickup, and you're really measuring yourself against all the other players that are on that are on the team, but how quickly did you realize? you know what, I'm actually, <laughs> this thing is translating for me really, really seamlessly.
1: It, it really started with Coach Courtney and the coaching staff's confidence in me through the recruiting process. They, uh, The whole recruiting process, they were telling me that I was the number one guy they were recruiting. Uh, they really wanted me there. They had so much confidence that I was going to be a great college player that when I walked on campus, I, I had already felt like, I'm good enough to play on this level because my dad, my coaches, my current coaches now, even my high school coach all just built that confidence in me. So it was early once I walked on the campus. I was also here for a summer program before school had started. Me and two other guys that are, uh, that are seniors now. So we, we were able to get a jump start on the academics, the, Weightlifting, workouts, all that stuff. So that by the time, by the time the whole team back, we were already used to lifting weights with our trainers, uh, working out with the coaches, playing on the court, all that stuff. So we kind of had a little bit of a head start over some of our other freshmen at the time. But yeah, my confidence was pretty good going, walking onto campus and then just got better once I got to know guys and we played pickup and yeah, there there were some realizing moments during practice and pickup and all that stuff, but I would say from the beginning, thanks to my coaches.
0: Matt, did you lift weights when you were in high school? How much of a, a weightlifting program did you have at your high school or when or did you get to Cornell and just go, Whoa, this is serious. <laughs> what these guys are doing here in the weight room
1: Yeah, we we didn't lift as as serious as we do here at Cornell, but in high school I would say my sophomore, my sophomore year, uh, we li- we started lifting a little bit, but not a lot. It was probably like once, once a week, once every two weeks, something like that. But my junior year, once Jody Barbie became our head coach, we had brought in a trainer who who lifted with us like all summer, all preseason before the season. And then during the season, we didn't do as much, but yeah, we lift. It wasn't as hard, but we lifted probably twice a week, my junior and senior year.
0: And then you get on campus, and now you have a strength coach at Cornell, and your nutrition is better, and everything, of course, your schedule now gets really hectic. And so let's let's talk about, before we talk about how, how you're, you could see your body changing and, and physically how all the different resources that you had on campus were helpful in, in making you a, a better player, the academic transition. What was that like when when you when you got to class and and you were like, okay, I'm at an Ivy League school, this is this is a pretty special place to be.
1: The academic transition. It, it was tough because my senior year in high school, I think my last semester, I think I had like one or two gym classes, and then I can't remember what the other class was. But coming here and having like two to three classes a day, I thought it was going to be. Thought it was gonna be easy, but it wasn't. I struggled for, struggled for a little while, but thanks to the help of my advisors that I had and all the assistants, the professors, it kind of helped me through it. But it's one of those things that if you reach out, they'll help you. But if you sit back and kind of try to deal with it alone, you're gonna struggle, especially at a place like this because. The classwork and academic load can start to get heavy, but yeah, I, sh- I did struggle for a little while, and then I started reaching out for some help, and that really, that really helped me out.
0: When I graduated from, from college, I really appreciated the people that were in student support services at my university. They did a really good job of working with us as players, but I also worked a lot with the folks that were separate from the athletic department, because I said I really want to graduate, I want to get a degree, and maybe one day even go on to graduate school, which I ultimately did. But I knew that I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity that I had to get a to get a free education, and so then I ultimately went into higher education as a, as a university administrator. So I know about, everyone knows about Cornell, the Ivy League, but what a lot of people might not know is the School of Hotel Administration is – Literally the number one hotel and administration program on the planet. They have, I think, uh, the second best program happens to be at UNLV, but Cornell has the number one school for hotel and restaurant administration. So when you when you went there, is that was that something that you said? Yeah, actually, I want to get a, a degree from this particular school within Cornell University.
1: Um, it was something that during the application process that. Uh, uh, one of my teammates was telling me, actually, he graduated last year, uh, Jordan. Um, he was telling me how great the hotel school was, and I didn't know what what hotel school meant. I thought it was, you're going to be working, like, front desk or housekeeping in a hotel. So I was kind of skeptical about it at first, but then he explained it, and he, just, he, was, he had nothing bad to say about it. And he he was telling me that it doesn't mean you have to work in hotels, there's so much more you can do with it. So once I actually got into the school, even now, just seeing how ambitious and how driven all these people are around me, and even the people who graduated, coming back and talking and uh, all the connections that the hotel school has, it's pretty amazing because Cornell hotel school graduates stay in contact forever and those connections never never break so yeah i i have nothing negative to say about the hotel school i love it
0: that's awesome all right let's get back on to to the basketball court then so you averaged 18.9 points 3.1 rebounds two assists 1.4 steals and played about 30 minutes per game in your first year and you hit seventy of 3 pointers, who so had thirty three percent. How in the world did you end up second team All Ivy League? Why not first team? Who was who was who was playing better than you in the Ivy that year? That you were second team and not first team. I, and I know that Harvard had some great players, or you know the the league had some some good players, but still, those numbers are hard to refute. How in the world did you end up? Who who did you make mad? You know, in terms of the other coaches that might have been voting for this honor, that you ended up second team. And I understand you're a freshman. Sometimes I've seen this before. Some coaches will go, "Hey, he's a freshman. He's got to pay his dues." You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna vote him as uh, All Conference first team. But come on, were you, were you a little bit disappointed that that you didn't see your name up there as a uh, first team All Conference?
1: Uh yeah, I remember. I took that one probably harder than my sophomore year because my freshman year, I think I had a great year. I led the league in scoring my first year in college. I broke the Ivy freshman scoring record, but I guess it was, it was because probably of where we placed in the conference. I can't remember if we were six or seven, but that one was kind of tough for me. I can't remember who had made first team that, but it was It was some pretty good competition. I don't even remember who won the league my freshman year. Oh, Yale. So, I mean, they had some, they had two of the best bigs in the conference. I think the top teams were Yale, Princeton, Columbia, and they had older guys who had been doing it for a while and they finished top three or four in the conference. So they put them on the first team and they had great years, but. I have the most confidence uh, in myself, and yeah, that that one confused me a little bit until I started thinking about yeah, they they place the top guys on first team from the best teams, so it took me a little while to get over it, but I still still play with a little motivation after that one and after my sophomore year.
0: We're talking to Matt Morgan, All American guard from Cornell University, here on the Division One Basketball dot com podcast. Matt, heading into your second season, so now we already know you could play at this level. What were your goals? Because other than, well, I want to be first team, all Ivy, you had to have, of course, team goals as well. You had so much success in that that first year, and we all know a lot of times players will hit that sophomore slump for whatever reason. Now teams have figured you out. Coaches have had a chance to see you go through the league. So when they're putting together their scouting reports, they understand what you do really well, and and where they could exploit some weaknesses. So what was your mindset heading into that into that second year? And before you answer that question, what did you do between your first and second year? What was what was going on in that summer? Did you go play at different team sponsored camps or apparel sponsored camps? What was going on in between those two seasons?
1: I think the biggest change that happened in between those two seasons was our coaching change. My freshman year coach, Coach Courtney, was let go, and we hired Coach Brian Earl, who's still here from from Princeton. I think that was the biggest change for me and how I went into that summer, kind of knowing what, what kind of offense we would be running because he was coming from Princeton. So that summer, he gave me some stuff to work on to kind of improve my overall game and then to improve how I would fit into the system. So that that was the biggest change. Uh, I went home, worked out with my trainers, watched a lot of film with my dad from my freshman year, but we knew that the, the style of play was going to be different, so we tried to watch how Princeton played and how they attacked in their system. So I uh, watched a lot of film over the summer, and then just trying to play against guys who came back that were in the area that were D1 players as well. We tried to get into gyms, just kind of play, stay in shape, uh, keep our skills sharp. Yeah, the biggest change was the coaching change that happened after my freshman year. I think that really helped me have another good year because most people hit uh, that sophomore wall because – they play the same system, and then people start to figure out how they attack in that system. But when you go from having the ball in your hands all the time, scoring to having to give it to your big and then play off the ball probably 75% of the possession, I mean, that that's that's hard to try and scout for, especially it being the first year we were doing it.
0: Matt, did that scare you? I know a lot of people – you, you hear that, that, oh, by the way, our coach got fired, the coach that basically brought me here and believed in me enough to recruit me to go to school here. But then you get the coach from Princeton, and they're running all this backdoor stuff, and and what they do is also somewhat legendary when you think about Pete Carell and, and the success that, that he had there. I I would be a little concerned thinking we're going to be taking the air out of the basketball, and this is not going to be a good brand of basketball to play. We're not going to get to run up and down. Was it, did that even concern you at all when you realized what kind of system was, was going to be implemented at Cornell?
1: At first it did because uh, you'd never know how stuff like that is going to work out or if you're even going to fit into that system. So, uh, it could concern me, uh, but then I started talking to my dad, and we were just kind of sitting there and thinking about if we were on the Princeton system, what are the benefits of playing in this system? And then the more we talked about it, the more I started to think this is probably the best system for me because the Princeton system is all based on back doors if you can knock down shots. So uh, after my freshman year, people saw that uh, I could hit shots from any range. I could score him around the rim. So when I started thinking about it and watching how they played, once they give the ball up, the defense has to make a decision, basically. Do I let him come around for a, a jump shot or do I try to deny him the ball and allow this backdoor cut? So the more I thought about it, the more I was, I thought this, this is perfect for me because especially playing against Princeton, too, it's – it's such a hard offense to try and stop. So it, it probably concerned me for a week at most, but then I started trying to embrace it and yeah.
0: So we get to we get through a successful sophomore year. And, and the thing that I think also is impressive, Matt, a lot of people will, I, I guarantee you, because I've heard this conversation for many years, people will say, especially when you see some gaudy numbers, people putting up some big numbers in conferences that are not as heralded as some of the big premier conferences, like obviously the ACC and Big East and Pac-12 or whatever. And they start to wonder, well, is this guy as advertised? Is he as good as the numbers say they are? You actually put up numbers against schools out of conference, and that's the thing that, that I think is impressive. It wasn't like you were just doing it against the Ivy League, which also had good competition, better competition than a lot of people realize. When, uh, for instance, we're in the Bay Area here in San Francisco. We got to know a lot about Jeremy Lin because he played locally in Palo Alto and knew that he could play, and he goes to Harvard and has a a really successful career there, and there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of players that could play at a good level, but people Basically underestimate them because they're playing in the Ivy League, but you were doing it out of conference as well, and that's the thing that that I basically found impressive with with your career. And so people know that you could flat out ball. So you go into your your junior year, and once again, tell me about some of the goals that you had entering your junior season, what you wanted to accomplish, all the things that you were hoping to get out of that out of that that season.
1: Going into uh last season the main goal for me was doing whatever it took to make the Ivy League tournament they implemented it my sophomore year and we we were fighting for it up until like the last the second to last weekend uh we were still in it so that was my main goal was to make the Ivy League tournament and then anything can happen from there but that was that was the main goal i had made second team all ivy twice at this point the goal the goal was finish top four and be consistent on the court with my stats of course and first team all Ivy was another goal. But everything that happened that season was kinda unplanned. Like I didn't plan to average over twenty points, but the whole non conference I basically scored I think twelve straight games with twenty plus. So once that got rolling that was another goal was to stay above above twenty. Of course, I led the league in scoring twice, so that was another goal, was to do it again. And then improve all my stats, really. Field goal percentage, three-point percentage, improve as many, as many statistical categories as possible. Just to, like you said, show people that um, I'm not only doing this during conference, but non-conference as well. So um, those were some of my goals going into junior season, but... Some things just happened while the season was rolling, which was an added bonus for me.
0: Think about the first three seasons that you played in. Who was the best player that you played against in either your freshman, sophomore, or junior year? I would
1: say, oh my goodness, now i got to remember
0: who I played against. Um, there wasn't anybody you went out there and you went, man that person that guy really could go where where after the game you went cuz i could think about what i when i was playing in college uh, i noticed that you played against University of Wyoming and mm-hmm. i was a uh, junior in college and we played in a in the the cowboy shootout University of Wyoming used to host this this tournament during Thanksgiving time it was the cowboy shootout and we played in it was basically two games you you were trying to get to the championship game the next night and we played our game. We played Holy Cross in the first game. And uh, we were done. And I'm sitting down and I'm watching Wyoming play against University of Southern Mississippi. And he had a guy by the name of Clarence Weatherspoon on there. And Clarence played in the NBA for like, I don't know, like 10 seasons, something like that. Reggie Slater, who also was a, I think he was also first round pick in the NBA. But when I watched these guys play, I went, wow, they're playing, they're playing at a whole nother level. And it was obvious that these guys are pros. And then where I went to school, we had to play a home and away against University of Arizona. And when I was in college, we're talking Damon Stoudemire, who you know ended up being an all-NBA player, Khalid Reeves, who was a lottery pick in the NBA, Brian Williams, who became Bison Dealy, played with the Bulls. They had seven guys on their team, Chris Mills. And I remember walking out on the floor going, first of all, this team is huge in terms of size, but second of all, these are all like lottery picks. Judd Bushler, who was a second round NBA pick, was the starting guard on their team. And so I remember thinking, these guys are playing a different brand of basketball than we're playing. This is first of all, we're not gonna grow anymore, unfortunately, in halftime. And second of all, these guys could go. So where was there anyone that you went out there and you went, Wow, that 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 was a really good player <laughs> that I, that I had to go up against
1: uh, I would say my freshman year, I remember that Syracuse team, they were loaded. I think Trevor Cooney was there, Michael Benajay, Malachi Richardson. I remember they they were a loaded team. And then another one my freshman year, he played at University of Pittsburgh, was Jamel Artis. Uh, I remember when we walked out and saw him, he basically did whatever he wanted against us that was one of the guys where I knew he was on a whole another level especially playing in the ACC so those were tough I mean Syracuse is tough for us every year just because of that zone in their length but yeah and then my sophomore year I remember we played the University of Houston and their guard that they had there Rob Gray He was, he was really good. He kind of did whatever he wanted as well. Uh, him and Damian Dotson and Damian Dotson plays for the Knicks now, but they were, they were pretty good. And these are all out of conference people. So that makes it even harder because you don't scout for them as much. And then last year playing, of course, at Auburn was ridiculous. Their athletic ability and their size was, was crazy. That was one of the teams where there was nothing we could do. And then last year against Niagara, they had two guards. Khalil Dukes, I think, finished top 25 in scoring. And Matt Scott, who I want to say was second in the country in scoring when we played against them. So, yeah, those are some of the, the tougher people that i played against out of conference. And then in conference, there's a bunch of names. Justin Sears. Brandon Sherrod, Mayo Lowe from Columbia, Seth Towns now from Harvard, Bryce Aiken, uh he was injured last year, but his freshman year he was insane. And then Desmond Cambridge at Brown is just a prolific scorer for them. He can score at any level, uh, and he's athletic, can jump out the gym. And then I'll probably throw throw my boy Devin Kennedy from Princeton in there too uh with with his range, you have to respect him as soon as he crosses half court, and that opens up a lot for him so yeah those those would be some of the tougher people that I've played against, but I'd say the toughest was probably Jamel Artis from Pittsburgh
0: okay what about uh, arena what was uh where was the toughest place to play in the first three years that you've been in school
1: well for sure Wyoming because of the elevation was I, I couldn't I couldn't breathe during warm up so that, that was hard playing that high in the air. You're not you're not used to it unless you do it a lot. So that was probably one of the tougher places that I played in and then opening at Syracuse last year, thirty thousand people in the carrier dome, yeah, that, that was a tough environment to play in seeing all the orange uh how loud it was cuz we usually play Syracuse in mid mid December but op- opening there was was ridiculous I've never seen that many people hacked into the Carrier Dome when we played them before so that that was probably one of the tougher ones as well
0: How did you play in that game
1: Um I think I played alright I finished probably around sixteen, eighteen points. Probably a little above or below forty percent from three. I think I think I played all right. It wasn't it wasn't that bad for me personally. It was just seeing that many people in the Carrier Dome. We we never seen that many people in there before, so it was a little shocking at first. But once once the ball goes up, you kind of block all that out.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny where I played at. We, we played at 7,000 feet elevation, so my, my campus was in the mountains. Okay. And we used to, we used to take advantage of that altitude as well. The, uh, the funny thing is when we went to play in Wyoming, we were actually used to the elevation. Oh, uh, okay. We were actually playing a little bit higher than them, but uh, we played in my, I think in my sophomore, actually my junior year, we played Kansas the year that they went to the national championship game, and Kansas had to play Arizona State the two nights before they came up to our campus and they got beat. And that year Arizona state had a really good team. They, they went, they had a couple of NBA draft picks and, and they were nationally ranked all year. So they get beat at Arizona state and then they come up the mountain to play us and we give them a run for their money because they were in a situation where they were like, Oh, we're playing this, this big sky conference team. You're probably not that good. And they couldn't breathe. And they were just like huffing and puffing. And I remember when we, we we ended up losing but we gave them a good run and we walked off the court going yeah they're okay you know Kansas they're 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 okay they're not, they're not that great well they got better as the year progressed and they ended up playing in the national championship uh, that year but uh, they had a, a little guard named Adonis Jordan who was a nice player and Mark Randall who played in the NBA and uh, Pat Ricci so they had a few NBA players on their team but when we got them at altitude we, we brought them down. And, and by the way, what I was talking about earlier, when I saw Georgetown play at the pit in New Mexico, they were losing that game up, un, up until up until two minutes left in the game. And then Patrick Ewing then went bananas in the last two minutes and sealed the victory for them. But they only ended up winning by like seven or eight points. And they had the same issue because New Mexico plays it at mile high at 5,200 feet. And so, uh, so that was uh, – it was really interesting to see that. So let's talk about – it sounds like I, we started our conversation off with what you did this summer, and but let's talk about the NBA for, for a minute. We have – tomorrow we're going to have one of my old teammates from college who is an NBA assistant. He was an assistant with the Houston Rockets for two seasons uh, just a couple of years ago, was with the Nets last year, Josh Oppenheimer and then before that he was an assistant with the milwaukee bucks and josh he'll be on division one.com tomorrow and uh so when we talk about the nba and we'll talk to him about basically players that appear ready to go and make the the, the leap from college to the next level and, and what he sees in these guys and what players should be working on in order to make the transition successfully you flirted with that idea of declaring for the draft last year and then you pulled out tell me what that process process was like where, where were you in terms of whether you were working with your coaches or talking to advisors you know who basically was giving you as much information as possible to make the decision as to yeah Matt's ready to go and test the NBA waters.
1: Um, I think it was a combination of my coaches and my parents. I mean, my parents are going to support me whatever decision I make, especially my dad knows. He knew I had a pretty good pretty good year. My junior and sophomore year, I decided to declare both years. So talking with them, and especially my head coach, because he, he knew the type of season that I had, non-conference and in-conference. So uh, when I went to talk to him about it, he was all for it. He was behind it 100%. He even said, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. So that really gave me the confidence to kind of attack the draft process my sophomore and junior year. Sophomore year was a, a little bit more hesitant than last year. My sophomore year, I just kind of wanted to put my name out there, get some as much feedback as possible last year uh, I was all in kind of in the back of my mind knew that I was going to come back to school but of course I wasn't gonna let anybody anybody know that until until I pulled my name out but yeah talking to my coaches and my my parents were they were the ultimate deciding factors
0: sure but what, what I actually like about the fact that you're and, and and understand, I, I come from a different era where even the best players still stayed in school for four seasons. And you think about a guy like Patrick Ewing being in school for four years, and and uh, Alonzo Mourning, and and just all the great players, of Christian Leitner, all these guys that stayed. Michael Jordan till his junior season. Now it's it's almost unheard of, right? If a, if a player who has NBA potential staying in school beyond their sophomore year, but I love the fact that you just kept getting better and better and to go to a place like Cornell to be able to get your degree at the end of this year that's like and you are going to play in the NBA there's no doubt about it i can't wait to to get josh's feedback tomorrow when we talk to him on on the division1basketball.com podcast get get him to talk a little bit about once again what what players are are lacking and making it more difficult for themselves when they think about moving on. In your case, you're going to be someone that's coming in as a mature player who knows how to play the game, has gotten good coaching, and and let's talk about that coaching for a minute. You obviously had a a coaching change, a coach that that recruited you ended up getting fired. So Brian Earl comes in. What has he been like as a as a coach and motivator for you?
1: Uh, I mean, he he's been he's been great. He's taught me so much about basketball, on and off the court, how to mentally prepare physically because at his size he was just as good as any other player in the country because he knew how to play the game the right way. Of course, that Princeton system really helped because it's it's a bunch of reads and I feel like that's what basketball is turning into is people who can unless you play for the Rockets, of course, but it's just guys who can score without the ball in their hands all the time. Uh, and I think if you're not one of the superstars in the NBA, they're not calling isolation plays for you. They're not drawing up plays for you. You got to be one of those guys who can come in, knock down the shot when needed, because people are going to help off you until you decide. or mm-hmm. not Until you start making shots, then they'll decide not to. But Coach has taught me so much. Uh, about the game, uh, and I think he's really helped me learn how to play without the ball in my hands. But Coach Courtney taught me a lot of on the ball, picking rolls, isolation, finding ways to get my shot in different spots. But Coach Rose came in uh, with his, his offense, and even the defense uh, has really helped me because, I mean, we're not VCU or anyone who presses the court presses people 94 feet but uh being able just to get get stops to help your teammates in any way possible he taught me a lot so i'm I'm grateful for it especially to have two coaches uh some people with two coaches don't do as well or don't do good but i think in my case has benefited me
0: who and i know a lot of different coaches we had uh I think I might have mentioned Josh Pastner, head men's basketball coach at Georgia Tech on last week. And, and he was talking about how he, he breaks down his practices. And, and he learned that from Lute Olson when he was an assistant coach under Coach Olson. But he also was an assistant coach for John Calipari at Memphis before Cal took off to take over the, the men's program at Kentucky. And he were talking about how they organize their practices. Mm-hmm. And so how how are your practices structured in a sense that how much of it is run by the assistant coaches or the associate head coach, and then how much of it is, is Coach Earl saying, this is my voice, mine is the only one that you're hearing, or does he do a good job of delegating to, to the assistant coaches?
1: Um, I think he does a great job of delegating to the assistant coaches. I mean, he tries not to have his voice be the only voice that we hear. Um, He encourages – not only the coaching staff, but us, the team, to talk to each other and kind of run practice because this is our team, this is our program while we're here. So we don't want it to be the coaches telling us to do everything. So he kind of delegates it to the assistant coaches first, of course, because they're the leaders of the team. But then after the assistant coaches, I mean, sometimes if something doesn't go right, they're not on the court with us practicing. So uh, it's good that we are able to kind of talk to each other. Uh, And even sometimes I'll stop practice and explain something to like a freshman. If they don't do something right, I'll stop it and be like, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And he encourages that because he knows during games, he can only say so much because we can't hear him. So he does a great job of delegating to not only hear his voice, but, hear as many as possible as long as it's beneficial and productive
0: what kind of coach is coach earl in terms of in-game coach is he i see a lot of coaches are major league micromanagers you just explained that he gives you guys a lot of authority and and his assistants a lot of authority and delegates but at the end of the day some coaches still feel like they have to call every play as a player is coming up the court you have the ball in your hands a lot of time and then others that just go look we've done this in practice you read the defense, you make the calls, you guys go out there and, and, and execute. What what kind of in-game manager is he? Is he a micromanager or is he just like, hey, look, you, you know what we want to try to do here. Go out there and do it.
1: I would say he's more of a, uh, you know what we want to do, let's do it type of coach. He doesn't really, if you watch him, he doesn't scream or yell at all, really, unless he's yelling at the referees. But he doesn't scream or yell. He kind of sits back and, the same way that we're reading them on the court. He's reading them off the court so that during those media timeouts, he he's drawing up plays in his head. And he's always thinking about what can benefit us to win this game because he knows a uh, win is a win no matter how you get it especially during Ivy season, you take what you can get. And even though we won and it was ugly, we'll watch film and we'll correct it for next time. But in game, he's all about winning no matter how how it happens. So he he kind of sits back, reads what's going on, and then he'll let us know. And then even if if he isn't reading something, we'll let him know, like, hey, this defense is doing this. I feel like this is something somewhere where we can attack he'll he'll figure out a way to best attack that that defense but he's not a micromanager at by any means.
0: Okay. I want to definitely be respectful of your time. You've been very very generous with your time this morning and and we truly appreciate that Matt Morgan Cornell University All-American guard and so I only have a few more questions for you, Matt. Let's talk about the upcoming year. Forgive me I should know this, but you haven't been to the NCAA tournament as a team or you have? Not yet. Okay. And I, I think last year you guys lost to Harvard in a semi of your conference tournament, is that correct? Yep. And so this year is this is it, do or die, one more year. Mm-hmm. It would be a shame for the country not to get a chance to see you play in a tournament and because you've you've been such a performer for the first three years playing in the ivy league as i said a lot of a lot of talent goes unrecognized because people just really they underestimate first of all you don't get to see a lot of games on national tv right that come from the ivy league you have to, it's almost like a regional not a lot of nationally televised games and so it's unfortunately the tournament where we get to to, to see uh, the, whoever the ivy league representative is but for those of you that are listening and and, and those of you that get a chance to to watch college basketball played at a really high level you got to try to tune in and find some of these Ivy League games because you have players like you Matt who can play and are going to play at the next level and so let's talk about that Uh, first of all who would you who would you compare yourself to and I'm not saying that you play exactly like but someone if someone was going to say yeah that Matt Morgan have you seen him play and so someone says well who would you remind me of Who's the player that you, you might model your game after or you take a look at and you go, I, I like the way this person plays. I want to play like this.
1: Um, I mean, growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, 10 minutes away from Davidson College, so I've always tried to model my game after Steph Curry. He's been my favorite player since I can't even remember. I think I went to see him in high school his senior year. So I've always tried to model my game after Steph but I think some art came out from one of my recruiting services back home. He kinda compared me to Damian Lillard a little bit and I can see that. The more I kind yeah, the more I kinda play and the more I watch myself, I can see a little bit of Damian Lillard as well. Because both guys came from small schools, not really highly touted out of high school. They just kept working like you said and then, uh now their household names in the NBA. They play the guard position and a little bit undersized, both of them. So uh, I would say try to have a mix of both of them.
0: That's a really good analogy. I could I could definitely see that. In the town that I live in, I live about five minutes away from Steph, where Steph Curry lives. We get to see obviously a lot of the Golden State Warriors here, and he's a he's a guy that came from a small town. He obviously had. A dad who played in the NBA, so he was around that. But talk about a guy that hasn't let the success and all of the accolades go to his head. That dude is about as as level headed and is about as real as someone who's had so much success and so much, you know, glory from a an early age. He's he's about as real as it gets, and, and to to see the success that he's had in the NBA, it's really fun to watch, and we get to see him every night, basically, up close. And and as I said, I actually live in the same community that he lives in here in, in the Bay Area. So to see how he's grown as a as a family man and, and just as a professional athlete is pretty cool. So, uh, Matt, I'm going to let you go, but before I, I do that, I want to, first of all, compliment you on a tremendous career at – Cornell, the success that you've had on the court, in the classroom, doing it the right way, playing the game the right way at a high level, respecting the game. I'm a fan, and we're going to be watching you all year to to root for you, and hopefully to get into the NCAA tournament, because I want everyone around the country to to be able to get a chance to see you play, and all those players, all those young players that, that are aspiring to be college basketball players, you don't have to go to Kentucky or Georgetown or UCLA, you could have success in a lot of different places. But the the number one thing is to to work on your game and, and you've and you've proven that you can come in right away and, and contribute if you were constantly working on your game. But also you're not forgetting about the academic side of it, doing it at a place where you have to be serious about about what you're doing in school. And so I commend you for that and And uh, we we definitely thank you for for coming on the division one basketball podcast before I go, I wanna invite you to do something for us. We are launching the largest virtual half court shot contest basically in the country and around the planet because when I say around the planet we, we, we haven't really advertised this, but on our instagram we've we've put it out there that we want to see who can hit a legitimate half court shot and make it look as seamless as possible. And so we have a lot of different people that are posting videos of themselves hitting a half court shot. We have college players that are that are contributing to that as well. So you get a chance to during practice or when you're playing pickup get to the half court line and and hit a shot. We what we're going to do is is we want to make a donation to whatever your favorite charity is. If there's a charity that you support out there and make that donation in your name or in the name of Cornell university, whatever it is that you want. So if you, if you get a time in your busy schedule during during practice or pickup, and you want to have somebody film you hitting a half court shot, hit that shot and just DM me or send me the, the video and we could post it on division one basketball.com and, and then make a, a donation to whatever your favorite charity is. So whatever, whenever you get a chance to go out there, that'd be fantastic. But, Matt Morgan, I want to thank you so much once again for joining us on the com podcast. You're a, a true asset to the game of college basketball. We're going to be cheering for you like crazy, and uh, and good luck this year.
1: Yeah, Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. This is, it's been good. I appreciate it.
0: Excellent. Have a great season, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Matt.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: So that couldn't have been any better than expected having matt morgan all-american guard from cornell university on the division one basketball.com podcast he is a tremendous asset to the game of college basketball so much fun to have him as a guest on the podcast and what a what a great young man someone who understands the term student athlete he wasn't highly recruited he wasn't highly touted coming out of high school even though he had a nice high school career he ends up going to Cornell was the only school that offered him a scholarship and goes there and in his first year is second team all conference even though he put up numbers that could have easily justified him being named first team all Ivy League and he is just been tremendous on the Ivy League level led the league in scoring for 3 straight years he's going into his senior year now and has not played in the NCAA tournament in the NCAA tournament and he's someone that the country has to has to get a chance to see and a lot of times unfortunately because he plays in the Ivy League you're only going to get to see the champion of the Ivy League conference tournament and i don't even think i think actually they just got the conference tournament if i'm not mistaken it used to be just the the regular season champion that would go to the NCAA tournament so if he doesn't win the tournament they're not going to the NCAA tournament and so you've got to got to try to find Cornell basketball online regional TV, wherever you can find them, and and watch this guy, Matt Morgan. He is a tremendous guard and is a real asset to the college basketball game. So that's what we want to do here. We want to try to give you some exposure to some of the best players in the country. Matt Morgan definitely fits that bill. He is an All-American guard. He is a preseason Lou Henson All-American guard. He will play in the NBA. He declared for the draft a couple of times and then pulled his name out of the draft because he felt like he needed another year Well, he's going into a senior season and he's going to have a, a tremendous year because he's been consistently good for the entire time he's been at Cornell and he's someone that we're rooting for. I, If you're an NBA general manager out there, you get a chance to see Cornell play. You're going to get someone who has played for four seasons, knows how to play, has strong solid fundamentals and will be an asset to any organization. The guy is smart. He's not going to be making any headlines. That you don't want to be reading about. He's only going to be doing good things, positive things in the community. So, Matt Morgan, once again, our guest, Cornell University All-American Guard. We're so happy to have him here on the Division1Basketball.com podcast. I'm Wendell Tall, your host. Thank you for joining us once again on Division1Basketball.com. And tune in next time. Our next guest will be Josh Oppenheimer, who is an NBA assistant coach has been an assistant coach with the Houston Rockets with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. And so we're going to have him on the podcast next. But uh, once again, we want to thank Matt Morgan for joining us. Stay tuned, come back, let people know what we're doing here on division one basketball.com. The show is only going to get better. And so we appreciate those of you who have found us go to our Instagram. As I told Matt, we're doing a, virtual half court shot challenge so you can have court shot we will donate money to your favorite charity thanks again for tuning in i'm wendell toll your host until next time